ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And, Brett, last week we talked about Pac-12 having a schedule. Arizona knows who it's going to play again in the 2020 season that starts in a little less than a month now from when we're recording on October 8th. But now that there's a schedule, pretty much everyone who has an idea of college football, whether it's the betting lines or Pac-12 media, Breaking news, they all expect Arizona to be really bad this season. So, hooray for football? Wop wop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the I think they were fi- finished dead last in the, the media poll, though. As I think I said last week, like, all the speculation, like, this year or even more than most years, nobody really knows until you're a few games in. Um, and the... Even the dead last in the media poll by total number of votes means people think we're worse than Colorado, which I just fundamentally don't believe. Yeah. And then I think the uh, the over under was set at a very strange one, not even one and a half. <laughs> yeah, um, who, who sets a betting line that's like a single game? Like I understand if you don't think Arizona's gonna be any good, you put it at one and a half and try to get people to say they're going to win twice as many games as you expect. Right. That's well, and, what you yeah. Do. And the the thing that's even weirder and dumber about that and i don't think it's just me being a homer is that you know we, as we talked about last week the seventh game is going to be your you know your quote peer in the north so are they basically saying that like where was Colorado? where was colorado's over under at was it higher uh colorado was at one and a half a, so re- a real betting line i mean well the, but the thing that's nonsensical about that is that you are saying therefore that Colorado is more likely to beat Arizona. It's, you're either saying Colorado is going to beat Arizona and then lose to the fifth, fifth or sixth place team in the, you know or in the in the North, or you're saying that Arizona is going to beat Colorado but lose to the 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 same thing in the in the North. So like, there's like a weird circular reference there that doesn't the math doesn't make sense to me. No, and that's when people try to like do this. Like the Vegas people, I tend to think do a little bit more research than most when they're picking standings and who's going to beat who because it's like i forget who was rob baron a friend of the show he's like when they're looking at who's going to win as many games like well like asu and cal play each other that's their crossover game and if they each get to this win total it seems very it just seems very unlikely and you could do that all day like people make a schedule like unless you do the entire t of the pac-12 it's hard to say who's going to win as many games but you're right the pac-12 the the media day did their thing the pac-12 media preseason poll and arizona was sixth in the pac-12 south with 57 points, which is the lowest total value. And Washington State was next at 58, Colorado 63, Oregon State 76. Um, for the South, USC, ASU, Utah, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona is how it went. And I don't think either of us are here to tell anyone that Arizona is going to be a really good team. You know, I think last week we said the over-under would have been like two and a half because we each believe that Arizona is better than Colorado, who changed their coach late in the process, lost a lot of talent from last season, hasn't had a chance to really get going with their offseason because of some of the laws and stuff in Colorado. 
And also Arizona beat them. Like that's the one team Arizona has beaten since Kevin Sullivan arrived. You know, Arizona's had some pretty good success against Colorado. So if if you want to say that Colorado's a better team than Arizona, that's that's going to be a tough sell on the show, especially that game is in Tucson. Arizona's going to be favored in that game, barring we'll see what injuries look like by the time they get there and everything. But on paper, Arizona is favored to win that game. Well, but if 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 you're the person that's going to be the glass half empty for Arizona with the new defensive staff and scheme, right? Uh, and say, well, there, there's so much uncertainty there. Do you like multiply that times like three for Colorado since they have a whole new staff and had I think I don't even think they had a did they even have a spring practice before COVID shut them did. down? But but even if they did, like Arizona only had like the four. But what this I think shows you, Brett, is like vibe only guts you so far. Right? And Kevin Sullivan, he was ta- he talked about this in his uh, media day press conferences Zoom call. He's like, well, he didn't he alluded that he didn't know. He's like, well, they're not playing the games. And, of course, you expect him to say he seemed like he got pretty upset about that. But just the, the, the vibe surrounding Arizona, the feeling surrounding Arizona as a program is so bad, right? Because you could look at Colorado and say, yeah, there's no way Colorado's better than Arizona. Even on paper, Arizona probably has more talent. There is more cohesion on the coaching staff, you know, which they don't have over most programs, but they do this one. And yet people still pick Colorado to be better than Arizona and not much better. You know, the Vegas line had him at one and a half wins, Arizona at one. And Colorado is at 63 points in the Pac-12 media poll. Arizona's at 57. So no one's saying that Colorado is leaps and bounds better than Arizona. But even if you want to make the claim that they are, it just maybe, maybe, I don't know if Colorado's, you know, podcast is saying, all right, you know, Arizona's a terrible team and we're way better than them. Like, I doubt that. I'm sure Colorado fans are down on their roster too. But just... We've talked about this on other shows, and you look at this Arizona team, and like defensively, they look like they're going to be a mess, especially with the linebackers who left, with the defections in the secondary. In the secondary, the new coaching staff is going to have their work cut out for them. Not just installing a new scheme and hoping that that scheme is better than what they had, which it's hard to imagine. We've we've said this before: the coaching is going to be better on defense. The question is, is the talent this season going to be better? And with some of the guys they lost, it's hard to imagine that. Now, maybe some of the recruits, like the guys who are freshmen and stepping into new roles, will eventually be very good for them. But it's tough to believe that they will do that this season, especially early on. But offensively, Arizona, with the offensive line coming back, with Grant Cannell under center, with the receivers they have, with the running backs, they should score points. Can you say that about Colorado replacing their quarterback, losing their number one receiver, and everything's different? Can you say that again about UCLA, who they don't even know if they want to play, it seems like. Chip Kelly <laughs> might be the only coach who people think less of than Kevin Sullivan right now. So I, I don't – is Arizona a good team? No, we're not going to sit here and tell you they're a good football team. And are they going to be the worst team in the Pac-12? I mean, it's possible. They're closer to the bottom than they are the top. But when you say one win or the absolute worst team in the Pac-12 – that seems to be a bit hyperbolic, and I don't know why Arizona is thought of so much less than Colorado given the offseason that Colorado had. Like That just, to me, seems like piling on just because it's the easy thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just a lot of uncertainty, and maybe this is a thing where they're setting the line, anticipating where the, the bets are going to be, more so than, you know, you, you talk about Ve- the Vegas guys usually set things with a lot of research. I would contend that it's usually less research and more insider knowledge once you get closer to games. Um, you know, like they tend to know about injuries or, you know, so in, the quarterbacks uh, broke up with his girlfriend last week and has been on a bender since then, right? Yeah. Um, 
But like, I think right now it's probably more reflection of a, a little bit of where the money is going just from the narrative with all the departures, right? Uh, because yeah, the the defense is obviously going to be a huge question mark. But you know, when we went through the position groups, like I feel pretty decent about the corners. The safeties are thin. I feel pretty decent about the outside linebackers and the defensive line. The middle linebackers, what I, linebackers? I, I was I was going to say the middle linebacker. <laughs> uh, and you know, even even the safety position, there's a few guys that I like there. There's just not. There's still a lot of uncertainty, especially in, in terms of depth, right? Um, and maybe what some of those corners move over there, and you can solve that a little bit. That's an easier solution than the than the the middle linebacker spot. But there's, you know, there, we're operating under the assumption that they're still hell bent on doing a three four. And if you do more of a four three, at least for this season, maybe you can mitigate that somewhat, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You look at the talent, and this is the hard part. When you <laughs> do, you remember? I think it was Rich Rodriguez, his second season, when he's like, "The good news is we have everyone coming back on defense. The bad news is we have everyone coming back on defense because they were really bad that season." And you can look at, it and I don't think Arizona's a better team without Colin Schooler, without Tony Fields, without the Youngs at say, you know, at safety, without Colin Wilborn. Like even if those guys aren't, I mean, Colin Schooler hasn't been great for Texas Tech, and that's a defense that's been. Probably comfortable for Schooler, given what he was used to at Arizona. You know, Fields has been been really good for West Virginia. That's not surprising because he was he was a machine in Tucson. Like he put up numbers, but these are guys who they have experience. Yes, and like I said, I'm not going to say Arizona's better off without them. But they weren't exactly doing a lot to make Arizona's defense better. It seemed like now maybe they could they get worse without those players. I guess it's possible. <laughs> you know, like they did get some stops last season. You know, not enough, but. Maybe, like, the thought was adding the new scheme, the new coaches with an offseason, everything, with what talent was there, they would maximize the talent better than Marcel Yates and that staff did before. Well, now it's just different players. And we don't know how these guys are going to be, especially the young guys who have to step up. Darian Clark, who's going to probably get some run at linebacker now. You know, we don't know how he's going to be in a full-time role. Maybe he surprises. Like, I'm not going to bet. I wouldn't bet on that. But... It's just going to be such a different defense, not only just the scheme, but the personnel at some of those key spots where we just don't know. So it's easy to look at them and say they're going to be terrible. And I'm not going to argue with you if you say that, because until proven otherwise, they're going to be terrible defensively. But just offensively, that's not a bad offense, unless Grant Gannell just totally flops as a starter, right? Like if he's just not able to handle it, he's bad, then Arizona's going to be lucky to win a game, let alone more than one. But I don't think that's going to happen. And admittedly, we don't know Colorado. We're not breaking down their roster. We're not breaking down Washington State. We'd only, we just kind of know certain key guys that these programs have lost. But like when we were talking about Arizona last week, could Arizona beat Utah? It was picked to finish third in the Pac-12 South. Like they get them at a good time. Utah's got to replace a ton of talent. Like they're well coached. They're at home. They're, they should be favored over Arizona. But in what's going to be just a wonky season, for so many players, for so many programs, so many teams here and coaches, I, they have to make predictions. They have to make betting lines. The Pactal Media is asked to make predictions. And it's not the most outlandish thing to have Arizona 6th and 12th out of 12. No. But is it something that I really believe would happen? Like, I, I don't really make bets if I, you know, but like, I guess one win seems easy to go for the over, right? I, I mean, I don't know how that works. If they only win one game, you push. Like, that's a pretty yeah, you good get, bet. So- I, th- I feel pretty confident I'm not going to lose money yeah. with that bet. <laughs> but, I, you know, I guess it's disappointing here in year three of Kevin Summer that Arizona is now picked to finish last in the Pac-12. You know, whether they finish that way or not, maybe they surprise. And we've talked about how there's room for that to happen. 
But maybe the big picture is even if it's just a lot of piling on for Arizona and that, oh, they had this terrible offseason. Kevin Sumlin's on the hot seat. He wouldn't have a job if they could afford to get rid of him. Look at all the players they lost. Worst team in the Pac-12. That was not the expectation in year three of Kevin Sumlin. You know, even with Khalil Tate, who if he had been as great as people thought he might have been leaving, the idea was, oh, you have Grant Cannellan. That's one thing I – if Grant Cannell, he seems like the type of quarterback that a team that's only going to win one game, they don't have a quarterback like that. They have quarterbacks like Arizona had in the John McAvick years, the early Mike Stoops years. You know, guys who just were not Pac-12 or I guess then Pac-10 quarterbacks. Grant Cannell's not that guy. He's a four-star recruit who played well as a true freshman. Usually teams that are supposed to be really, really awful don't have that guy or a guy that good. So I just, it's disappointing that Arizona is predicted to be there. And of course, like Kevin Sumlin said in his, his media day thing, he's like, well, they don't play. They're not coaching. They're on the sidelines, the media guys. So what, you know, he seemed pretty feisty about it. But I'd rather they be picked to finish near the top of the conference than the bottom of it. But here they are. Yeah, when you when you're talking through that, I think there's I think you can really boil it down to a handful of things for the defense. Really, it's one: can you get Jalen Harris? Can the coaching staff put him in a, a position to be to to break out like we all thought he ha, you know was yeah. going to last year? And if you can get a pass rush, that makes a big difference. Two: can you get the defensive line to live up to what we? physically see is their potential because that oh that makes the the ask on the on the linebackers you know a lot less if they're if they're disrupting and eating up blockers it makes the middle linebacker spot much easier um and then you know three on offense you got to control the ball which is like you were just saying and then four stop playing 15 yards off on your corners (laughs) on a third and seven which I feel confident about that one. And I think that should raise our over-under by a half game right there. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but I, we could, and we'll have plenty of time and more shows to talk about this as we get into the season. Wildcat Radio 2.0 will have some preview stuff going into what looks like there's going to be a season. And again, we're an Arizona show, and we want Arizona to do well. And I, we're not saying Arizona's going to be great. We're not saying Arizona's going to surprise people and challenge for the Pac-12 South. I think just all we're saying is that they don't look like they should be the worst team in the conference. Despite their many flaws, they have enough things that you can pretty much count on. In, like I believe you can count on that offense to score 30-ish points a game. And if you can do that, your defense just has to be competent at times. A couple of key turnovers. You know, a stop here and there. They don't have to be great. They don't have to be desert swim. They just have to be there. You know, they have to put up a fight in most games. And if your offense is good enough to... Say your defense gets an early turnover and your offense capitalizes and you're up 17 nothing in the first quarter, you know, something like that, then it makes it easier for your defense. And also your offense can go to the running game, chew up some clock, do different things. With this offense, if, and that's what it comes down to. We both know that. Everyone knows that. If Arizona's going to have any chance this year, it's about their offense. And it's about their offense not only hiding their defense, but making up for their defense. And maybe the defense will surprise them. I'm sure there's going to be some players who do. There's going to be someone who gets a bigger role this season in a dis- new scheme and plays pretty well and gets you excited for their future. You know, Scooby Wright wasn't anything until also it's like, hey, Scooby Wright. You know, Colin Schooler wasn't looked at, at this amazing linebacker until he showed up and started playing like, oh, that guy can play. You know, there's going to be guys who are like that in this new defensive system, whatever it looks like. But until you see it, you can't predict it. So, But offensively, I think you can predict that, which is why we're not bullish on Arizona being really good. But I think we're fairly confident they're not going to be incredibly awful. Yeah, and, and one thing when you're talking about the offense, that the, the, the one 
piece of uh, positive news that happened with the way the, uh, the the coronavirus delays is that you have Jamari Joyner actually given time to fully recover. And I think someone was talking about, you know, he was kind of building up the hype train. And I think Jamari Joyner was sh- showing some showing some film where, you know, there's rumblings of him like, you know, his stock is way up. And he showed out pretty well at the end of last year. I think he was the leading receiver in the ASU game, had a huge game. Mm-hmm. You know, with, if you have a quarterback that makes smart decisions decisions and is accurate passing, like somebody like Jamari Joyner, if you if you get a if you get a true alpha dog receiver with a with Gary Brightwell running the ball and a, a quarterback that can make smart decisions and place the ball well, you can you can win a few games with that and a below average defense. Well, you're going to be in most games and yeah. like for two quarters, three quarters, maybe four quarters, and if you're in it at the end, you get a stop or a huge play offensively, and you could steal one, and that's what they're going to have to do. Like they're not going to be a team that's going to blow people out. I don't think that'd be nice. No. But, and you touch on that. Kevin, someone did have his Pac-12 media day Zoom call, and he was asked about how he's feeling. Of course, last week he was it was revealed that he was tested positive for COVID-19, and he's been asymptomatic. And I think U of A did their contact tracing. Like he wasn't around anyone in the program where it could be a problem, and we haven't heard anything since then. So that's good. And of course, someone was asked how he's feeling. He says he's feeling fine. You know, and I guess the question now is, assuming he continues to feel fine, hopefully he does. Will he be there on the field when Arizona starts practice? I believe it's October 9th. So we're recording on the 8th. By the time you listen to this, practice will probably start it. Someone may or may not have been out there. But it is interesting in this weird offseason, like the coach may not be there to start things. And he said, like, they've been careful, doing everything, trying to do everything the right way. And yet he still somehow contracted the virus. And that's that goes back to what we talked about last week when the schedule came out. Like, yes, everything's in theory right now. Like, yes, it's it's progress. We see that it could happen. But it's that tenuous. And if the head coach, and you could look at maybe that one say, well, if the head coach isn't even doing things right, we don't know where he got it from. He doesn't seem to know where he got it from. And that just goes to, like, you can do everything right. And let's assume for the sake of just not blame, like victim blaming here, let's just say he was doing anything right and yet it still happened. Well, we're going to need every player to do the same thing, only have it not happen to them. Because if there is an outbreak somewhere, then that's where these games get canceled. We saw it in the NFL. You know, college football's had that happen, too. And the Pac-12, as we talked about last week, doesn't have bye weeks to say, oh, well, don't don't worry about not pl- don't play this week. That's fine. We'll get your game in in another week. The Pac-12 can't afford to have that happen. So there's a lot of people who probably figure their team's better off without Kevin someone on the sideline, if that's how it is for a little while. But I do think, I mean, it's just hopefully he can get back out there on the field soon to be with his team because this is a weird time and they need all hands on deck from the coaching staff. Yeah, and he seems to have been a, a fairly strong leader as it comes to how the team has handled COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be curious, especially with our our geriatric defensive staff. Maybe <laughs> they should have all the coaches in the the giant hamster balls rolling around on the field so they can be on the field and not interacting <laughs> with anybody. Um, which, by the way, like we've talked about it a lot. Like, there's a real chance of, you know. Their schedule shows show seven games. Like there may end up being only a five game season with things getting canceled when there's no bye weeks to to make games up. How does that hap- How does that work on those over unders? If 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 uh, Arizona is like one in four when the season ends, that's a, that's like, a good question. I think they're just a win win team. Like, boy, I mean, that would make the one make more sense to me because <laughs> you're kind of betting on coronavirus well, to some extent. That, like, the winnable games are the back half of the schedule. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And <laughs> if I, they if have to cancel the back of the schedule, they could be a zero win team this year. They could be 0 and yeah. three. <laughs> if, if you if you miss if you miss one or two or three of the last four games, 
then maybe I take the under on that just because I don't I don't I think they're going 0 and 3 to start. I think there's a, a better chance that people think of them sneaking away with one, but you know, I wonder if that happened. Like say Arizona is totally healthy, right? And Colorado has an outbreak. Does Colorado forfeit? Does that count as a win for Arizona? Like granted, I don't care if they get the win or not. I just want to see them play and grow as a team. This because this year is just kind of weird anyway. But I wonder what they would do because I know the NFL. That's been the talk about maybe having the Titans forfeit some games because they just not even cared about COVID protocols. It sounds like I wonder how that would go in the Pac-12 because I could you just could Arizona have a team a season where they only play four games if these games get canceled? Like that's not right. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just flashed forward to a realistic possibility if that was true with forfeits, where the ter- territorial cup is won by default. The two sweetest <laughs> words in the English language. <laughs> as long as it goes in Arizona's favor, I I know we brought up with Brad Dandy a couple weeks ago that ESPN projection, and now it's turned to ASU is given the edge for the territorial cup by ESPN because I I can only assume that ESPN computers like it when teams have linebackers. So like that's I can only assume. I don't know the computer and how it models things and where it comes up with that. But, yeah, that would be, like, not trying to rain on any parades, and we're going to talk about this season as if it's going to happen, because as, until otherwise, it's going to happen. But Arizona already had its first, I guess, close-to-season COVID scare with Kevin Sumlin, but fortunately he seems to be doing well, you know, asymptomatic, and we'll see when he can get back out there on the field with his team. You didn't mention it too, though, Brett. Other takeaways from Kevin Sumlin's uh, media day thing was that he was high on Grant Gunnell talking about his leadership throughout all this and that Gunnell's been working on his pocket presence and movement within the pocket, that they're not asking him to be super mobile. But obviously we saw even Gunnell last season, his pocket presence was solid. You know, he's good at moving around in the pocket, which you don't have to be a running quarterback. You just have to be able to avoid a pass rush, step up in the pocket and keep your eyes down the field. He was good at that last season as a freshman, something he's been working on in the offseason. I would imagine he'd be even better about that, better at that this year. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean... Someone, I think you said correctly, was almost a little bit, uh, so far as Kevin Sumlin goes, feisty, he was. I feel like, and kind of defending his team, which for a guy that's uh, more often, you know, it, people compl- complain now when he's not winning that he's not nearly as fiery as Rich Rod. When people, there were the same people that complained about Rich Rod being too fiery. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the only answer is win the games and you can act however you want to. Pretty um, much. But I mean, it's there was there was nothing surprising, I don't think, in uh, in in terms of what he said. Maybe a little bit different from the old Rich Rod days, where if you asked Rich Rod, he'd say that everyone on his team has a lot of work to do. They're all terrible. <laughs> There's no starting quarterback, and everyone's got to win their jobs. You know, I I I kind of miss those days when Rich Rod hated on everybody on his team as a motivational tactic, and Todd Graham did the exact opposite and said how they had a top five team every year with elite uh, <laughs> dominant thinking, or well, what was the phrase? Do you remember? I think it was Rich Rod's second year. B.J. Danker starred that year, and big fan of Vanilla Vic. He did the most with very little, it seemed like. But they said that they didn't announce a starting quarterback. Just Danker ran out there week one on the first snap. And I don't know how true that is, because he was the veteran, and a new song was redshirting that year. But that's what Danker. That's what they said. Like they didn't announce the starting quarterback. Just Danker ran out there and was the starting quarterback, just because. I, I, I think on a scale of zero to true, that story is closer to zero. Yeah, but I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a hundred percent zero, if that makes sense. Like because even that whole offseason, Richard was cagey about stuff because they didn't really have. Obviously, Matt Scott was a fifth-year senior who left, and it's like, oh, and BJ Danker, I think it was a JUCO transfer. You know, like, and, but, but BJ Danker, he got the bowl game, played his ass <laughs> I be- off. Like, I believe he was a, 
a D2 former a former D2 walk-on transfer <laughs> who couldn't throw the ball 30 yards and yet he still made it work. But no, but that that's how Richard was and someone yeah to your point like he he's generally very reserved on things and some people don't like that. I guess I'm, how do his players feel? That's what really matters. But he was exceptionally feisty. It was just it was a Zoom call. Maybe it was the fact that he was has COVID. Maybe he's just pissed off about everyone dogging on his team and him. You know, and if that changes his coaching, I don't think it's going to change his coaching style. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't think someone's very engaged. And yes, that was one Zoom press conference. It doesn't mean he's any more engaged than he was before or any less than he's ever been. It doesn't mean anything other than that for that moment in that press conference, he was feisty. And he was ups- it seemed like he was upset about some question. I remember there was someone asked him like a yes or no question. He's like, oh, it was, I forget. I don't know who the reporter was, but they asked him if uh, he's like, well, you know, do you think a seven win team could make it to the playoff? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and then there was a positive. I was like, oh, he's like, oh, you asked a question. I, I answered. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was kind of not nice. But also, if you're going to ask yes or no questions, don't be upset when you get a yes or no answer. Um, the other thing, too, you did mention it. Jamari Joyner, he was high on him. So they're taking it time. But that's one benefit of this delayed start to the season that Jamari Joyner had his foot surgery should be a full go for week one. And he was Arizona's best receiver last season in his first year as a receiver. So if he can develop that rapport with Gunnell, like, Joyner's a type of guy who his size, his speed, his ability, that's a player who could find his way playing on Sundays at the next level. Yeah, but by, by the way, when you're talking about the Zoom meeting and the people – complaining about someone being disengaged i just imagined uh greg hansen halfway through a uh, column about how kevin someone wouldn't answer any questions <laughs> before he realized that his computer was on mute <laughs> but so no it's it's everything right now with arizona i guess this is usually a time for optimism and it's clearly not the case when it comes to arizona other than what kevin someone had to say and i don't know if it was more optimistic more than just pissed off about people who are doubting his team but there's reason if you want to believe that they're going to surprise some people and be better than a one-win team, better than the worst in the Pac-12, I'm right there with you. I don't think they're the worst team in the Pac-12. But the good news is they are a little less than a month away from being able to start proving that. And, hey, like that's that's all you can ask for, right? If you're Kevin Sullivan, if you're this team, all you can ask for is a chance to show that, hey, there is improvement. And for Kevin Sullivan in year three, although I know some of the recruiting, some of the players that they have you know, committed are just killing it right now in their high school football seasons. So maybe there is, assuming they can keep those guys, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe say, oh, their coaching staff is identifying some talent and things are getting better. But until they start playing games and whether they're winning or just being competitive this season, until they start doing either of those things, there's going to be those doubts. And they're they're warranted. Like, I I get it. Like I said, if someone wants to say Arizona's the worst team in the conference, I'm not going to say, how dare you? You don't know football. I'm just going to say, like, I disagree. But I'm not going to die on that hill because I don't know. There's a lot of doubts on this team. There's a lot of holes that they have to prove that they can fill. But there's also some things to like. And that's why I don't think they're the worst in the conference, even though other people clearly do. Yeah, I think I think all of that's fair. And by the way, you talked about some of the guys in high school. Did you see the the highlight? Of, I think it was Tyrese Johnson. Receiver? Like three guys. Yeah, yeah. just bully <laughs> in the end zone. It's, I, got, I, got, I got excited as an Arizona fan watching that clip. As yeah. much as you can from like, you know, a high school highlight film. Nah, it's hey, if Arizona can, that's all about bringing in talent, right? But that that was a very nice thing to see. Uh, Brett, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we ask you to give us some questions, and we're going to have that mailbag segment right after this break. We're back, and Brett on Wildcat Radio, the Twitter account at Wildcat Radio AZ, we had asked for people to submit their questions. 
You know, a little mailbag. So we haven't heard from people in a while. And the last time we did one of these, there wasn't football happening. So <laughs> this is a little different. We're wondering, like, what are people thinking heading into this season now that there's going to be a season? And we got a few responses. And what do you say, Brett? What, who asked us what? What do you got for us? Well, I'll just go by in the order that we uh, we received them from uh, at aerospace underscore Alex or his Twitter name is Deep State P Pete Q Errol, like <laughs> QAnon Pete Carroll conspirator. OK, there's a there's a lot to unpack in that name. They, there is. They either be, that is he, and I either think this guy is hilarious or frightening. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. but he, he did have a question for us <laughs> at aerospace Alex. Uh, said, do we even bother fielding a defense this football season? I mean, technically, I don't know what the rules are. If you don't want to have 11 players out there on defense, you don't have to, I assume. You know, teams have run 10 players out at a time. I don't know if there's like a minimum you must have. But no, like, we like we were talking about earlier, Arizona's defense is going to be the huge question mark going into the season, which I guess it's nice when you have one side of the ball you don't worry about. But defense, they have a a real big concern about. But with Paul Rhodes and with that defensive staff, I think we can feel confident that they're going to be better coached, better schemed for their games. Now, whether the talent's there or not, they lost a lot, but there's going there's some decent players or at least some intriguing players who are going to be asked to step up and replace those who they lost. And if there's one thing we can maybe hang our hat on, and maybe we can't, depending on your perspective, this Kevin Sumlin and that staff, is none of the guys who left were Kevin Sumlin recruits. So the players are going to be asked to come in are basically all Sumlin guys. So if you believe in their ability to evaluate talent, then you should feel at least confident that they won't take a huge step back from the, where they were last year. Maybe they won't take a step forward, but they won't take a big step back, I think. I mean, I suppose you could take an interesting, bold strategy of literally letting the other team score and then marching down the field, scoring and going for two every time and hope that you outscore them. But I think we'll have a defense. Um, <laughs> You know, I think as you, uh, I, I actually think that the defense is not, there's, there, there's frontline talent there, talent there. The depth is obviously the problem, especially obviously at the linebacker spot. Um, but you know, if, if you can get a pass rush, we have some pretty, uh, talented young guys at corner. Well, if we, uh, we have a pass s- rush, when was the last time Arizona had a pass rush? Uh, What's uh, Ricky Elmore and Brooks Reed? <laughs> or I guess Scooby Wright was a one-man wrecking crew as a pass rusher. Their pass right? rusher was Scooby Wright. Yeah, so if you, I mean, if you can get Jalen Harris to be the talent that you think he can be as a pass rusher, that goes a long way to, you know, b- between that and having the, the, the big guys in the middle of the defensive line eat up the blockers, you know, you at least have a puncher's chance. You're not maybe not going to be a good defense, but you could be a puncher's chance. And look at it this way. Last season, Arizona was last in the conference. They gave up nearly 36 points per game. They had 17 sacks in 12 games. Right? This was not a good defense. Now, are they going to be – is it possible for them to be worse? I guess. <laughs> like, anything's possible, as the great Kevin Garnett once said. But – I, I just I don't know if we'll see it. And if the offense is better, and it's easy to say, oh, the offense is good, but if the offense is more consistent and holds onto the ball longer, puts more drives together, scores points, and puts pressure on opposing offenses to keep up, then the defense will have a little bit more of a – it's not an advantage, but it'll be a boost to them. So I, if the offense is as good as it can be, then I'm less worried about the defense. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah, my my hope is that 
in a 60 minute game our uh, our defense is on the field 25 minutes or less per per, per game yeah um, and hopefully that's not because they're scoring you know in eight seconds <laughs> <laughs> so to say there have to be some caveats I guess with the wish for them not to be on the field that often so that much yeah with, with an occasional three and out. <laughs> But also, like, with the Khalil Tate offense, when he was at his best, they had some really quick scoring tries, which are really fun for fans. You know, when obviously breaks off a 75-yard touchdown run on the second play from scrimmage. But it's not so great for your defense. So if this offense is a little more dink and dunk with more Nomazoni offense that does have the ball, like, they need to score. You could have the ball for 10 plays. If you don't score, it doesn't matter. Other than the fact that you kept the defense off the field for five, six minutes at a time. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So they're... There are a lot of ways this offense could mask a bad defense, and they have the pieces in place to do just that. But they have to do it, and we'll see. Yeah, and it's and it's not just about masking them. It's when the big concern, and more than anything, is depth. Having having fewer snaps on defense just by that time of possession is also part of it. It's not just keeping them off the field, but you know, not having to have twenty more plays for you know your, your Miles Tapuso is not playing every snap, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you're if you're cutting down on the number of snaps, you can have fresh guys on the D line, which then it, it's a it's a positive trickle down effect on the defense. Well, and if we remember last season too, the defense was awful. They had a lead against Washington at home. They had held. I forget what the halftime score against USC was, but the defense had held for much of the first half. But then the offense was so inconsistent and just fell apart in those games where the defense like the dam broke, you know, for them. So, like if the offense can be better than the defense through osmosis, if you will will also improve. Yeah. Which I, I think the next question is kind of a continuation of this. It's from at MP Shrike, box and one, bear emoji, down emoji. Uh, who's playing linebacker? Anthony Who's Pandy. playing linebacker? Who's playing linebacker? What's at safety? <laughs> I don't know who's playing corner. <laughs> It's it's Anthony Pandy who was going to have a huge role this season. They just don't know if he's going to be outside or inside. I imagine they're going to probably put him at inside now because he's got experience and he can handle that. Darian Clark, I know Michael Love mentioned him, was going to be a guy who had more opportunities. Like Other than that, there's going to be probably some walk-ons who get some chances and maybe some true freshmen. You know, Is Derek Morning going to be one of those guys? Jabbar Triplett probably would have got some run as a true freshman coming off that Achilles injury. He might be able to play depending on the healing time frame. Like you would expect, you'd hope that you don't need him to turn to him this season. But those are guys who would get their playing time. They would get playing time as true freshmen. I mean, they're decent recruits. But right now, it's just a matter of I, they. The, hopefully they can figure it out during this fall camp they're going to have. Like They need to figure out who can play linebacker for them because there's a sure thing there. There's one, and it's Anthony Pandy. Yeah, I, you could almost call Darian Clark a sure thing. Uh, he, I think he was there, voted on the team, the special teams player of the year. Uh, so he's he's been on the field. He hasn't necessarily had a lot of snaps at the middle linebacker spot. Um, and it seems like every, all the the you know the the rumblings about him are that he's a player that they like and trust, and you know uh, can be a decent player. The thing that concerns me is I think even the most recent uh, roster update, I think he's only listed at like barely over 200 pounds, which is pretty pretty slight for a middle linebacker. But, you know, that was coming after an offseason when these guys weren't able to go to, you know, not everybody has a giant squat rack in their, in their parents' garage, right? 
Um, so my hope is that by the time the season starts with the lifting program and the, the meal program being on campus, that maybe he can be, I'd, I'd love him to be 220. Um, but you know, if he's, if he's still that slight, even if he's a good tackler, that's where you're gonna have to rely on the defensive lineman to really eat up those blockers. Cause he'll get swallowed up by a oh, pulling yeah. guard otherwise. Um, yeah, I think there's some walk-ons that are probably going to get get more action than would have been expected. Uh, and then I think I think Derek Morning is right. He's probably the. I think they originally wanted him to be an outside linebacker, but maybe they'll play him somewhat middle linebacker just to, you know, have a have a, a warm body at the, the middle linebacker spot. I wonder. Um, I wonder if there's anything because we talked about they have some Arizona has some pretty decent cornerbacks. We like their situation there. And granted, if they didn't have to replace so many safeties too. Maybe you could try to, I don't know, more if some of your corners or some of your safeties could kind of be those hybrids and play like a small linebacker role, just different types of defensive schemes that you can kind of scheme around the lack of true linebackers and just have athletes on the field like your best 11 guys. But I mean, they don't even know who those are at this point. Honestly, honest, I was thinking this through. There's a, there's a couple of creative options. Well, I, would, I wouldn't use your corner. I would move. I mean, like one of the safeties or something I would like move that. Christian, I mean, as a frame of reference, Christian Young, one of our safeties, the, the last of the Youngs, uh, <laughs> is listed at 6'2", 206. He's bigger than Darian Clark in both height and weight. But like that, it um, was like when Tremaine Bondurant was there, that spur linebacker was kind of like that tweener, like could play safety, could play linebacker, more of those guys on yeah. the field if they have them. I mean, so I would think Christian Young's going to get maybe some snaps there. You know, the the fun thing to blow everyone's mind is to move Nathan Tilford over there because he's got a little more size and that athleticism. Um, you know, the I was thinking about it the other day, and I this is based on nothing other than me thinking like, oh, that'd be kind of entertaining, would be, uh, you know, J.B. Brown was originally coming out of high school, a middle linebacker recruit, but he kind of ate himself into a, a defensive interior, like a, a five technique defensive lineman. <laughs> um, but like maybe there's maybe if he's not uh, playing snaps at middle linebacker, he can be, you know, slide outside and you move like a Kobena Watson. Just, you know, you can you can move some pieces around, I think, a little bit if, if it comes to it, because um, yeah, you have a lot of defensive linemen. But that's where do you you look at this coaching staff? We're saying they're gonna have to be creative, you know. And do we look at this coaching staff defensively, Paul Rhodes and that group, as probably more able to be creative with what they have? Like, I mean, Marcel Yates was at this level for a reason. I don't want to just pretend like that guy just couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag, right? Just he wasn't a good fit for Arizona and what they needed. But is Paul Rhodes a guy who could scheme his way with this talent? And I'm curious to find out because the guy's got a track record of being a good defensive coach. You know, it's a game guy. He teaches. He's a good teacher. But can he scheme his way through a lack of personnel at certain positions? Yeah. Can, can And that's where I wonder, can you scheme your way? And, like, you're going to have young guys, walk-ons, or undersized guys at middle linebacker, some experienced uh, defensive linemen. Like, our uh, Egan coached, uh, uh, was it... Did he have uh, Roy Lopez, or was he the other one? One of them was from New Mexico. One was uh, Aaron Blackwell was from New Mexico. And I get them all mixed up, but Lopez, I think, I think again, was had State. Aaron Blackwell, I think. Or so was like it Boo? They, I don't know. That the co- so the coaching staff has familiarity with these guys. Granted, they're both coming back from injury. Plus, you have you know Miles Tapusoa, Trayvon Mason, Keon Bars, JB Brown. You know, there's there's ways you can minimize the what's asked of the middle linebackers where it's basically like literally you could say 
tackle the guy with the ball, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it makes your defense a little more predictable, and then maybe you can manufacture some ways of getting a pass rush, like through, you know, blitzes and stunts. That's where having, you know, Jalen Harris uh, being able to be a one-man wrecking crew on passing downs become a much bigger value add. Uh, But I think, you know, there's... There's ways to be creative. There's ways to, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of put guys in the best chance to be successful through scheme. Kind of like you said, right? Um, you know, I think I think the linebacker walk-on that's most talked about might get snaps. I think was Dante Smith. People actually think is not a bad guy. Um, okay. Well, like I, you know, I don't. If you're counting on walk-ons to be playing a ton of snaps, it's usually not a good sign. Um, but you know, I think there's between position moves, how you can scheme, you know, maybe the defensive staff can mix in some four man fronts to try to change it up to minimize the amount of guys that are having to be on the fields. You know, a four man front can be highly effective against people who are just going to try to run the ball up the middle on us when they know, you know, it's not a secret that middle linebacker is going to be the weak spot in terms of depth, but there's ways you can get creative. Uh, there's ways you can move players around. You can, you know, be a little flexible with your scheme, have some blitzes and stunts and, you know, kind of, it might be a scotch tape and popsicle sticks held together defense, but, you know, if they can approach being just a little below average, that's, you know, that's all this team needs to win more than one game, right? Yeah. Now, Brett, we do have a little bit more in our mailbag for this week, but before we get to our last question, let's take one more break. We're back, and everyone, so far, thank you for the questions you sent in to Wildcat Radio AZ on Twitter. We definitely appreciate it. We do the mailbag every now and then, and always, if you have any questions that we don't ask for, please fire away. We'll be happy to look into them and see if we can answer them for you because, you know, you guys are like us. We're all fans of Arizona. We have the same questions you do a lot of the time, but this gives us a chance to really think about them and dive into them and see what we can come up with. Brett, for this week's mailbag, we already had some good questions about football. I know we got one more about a different sport that is pretty near and dear to Arizona fans' hearts. Yeah, Gary L. Freed at GL Freed asks, where will we be ranked to finish the, in the pack in basketball? That's a good question. Uh, I feel like similar to football, they're going to be underrated just because Arizona basketball has so much turnover. And if you look at certain programs like ASU is going to be picked to finish ahead of them, I'm sure we're going to be picked to finish ahead of them. You say that we'll probably pick to finish ahead of them. So if I look at it that way, just early thought, probably fifth or sixth, I think, for Arizona. But it's not fifth or sixth in a bad Pac-12. It's like fifth or sixth in a pretty good Pac-12 is how people are going to look at it. That's just my early guess. I... I got to think, uh, you know, the whole roster's turned over, so it's it's kind of like the football team where it's got the new quarterback and the whole, you know, no, there's some more question marks than there are answers. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I would, I'll go a little bit higher than that in terms of a preseason ranking because I think Arizona and Sean Miller, by nature of the brand and the track record, will get a little more benefit of the doubt. I think they'll be third or fourth place. Uh, I think Oregon and ASU will probably be in the top two spots. Um, but re- realistically, you know, nobody knows how good Arizona's going to be, and I don't think they're necessarily going to be uh, dominant coming right out of the out of the gate. But I think... I, I, I don't think most media types know what to make of 
a bunch of international recruits that they've never seen before, right? No, that's why I think they'll be lower and probably underrated to start. That's just just a thought. Yeah, I think I think they'll get more of a benefit of the. the it's kind of the inverse Arizona football effect. They'll get more <laughs> benefit of the doubt rather than the uh, the negative narrative against them, right? Well, if it, um, if it helps, I know Jolin already had his first bracketology of the season that just came out. He's got Arizona as a nine seed, so he's got Arizona making the tournament, which is that's reasonable. No matter where you think they're going to be, the top of the pack or not, they shouldn't be a bad team. They should be a tournament team. Ahead of Arizona are different seeds from the pack. He's got UCLA as a seventh seed. So he's got UCLA ahead of Arizona. He's got Arizona State as a seventh seed. So Arizona State's best team ever. They're a seventh seed. But they're still ahead of Arizona. He's got Oregon as a five seed. So that's ahead of Arizona. And I'm looking through the rest of it, and I don't see any other Pac-12. Or Stanford's an eighth seed. So they're ahead of Arizona. So that's four teams, I think. So he's got Arizona as the fifth best team in the conference. Like, I guess when the season ends, when the tournament starts. He has he has nobody higher than a five seed also, which yeah. I I don't buy I I don't know if I buy Stanford I I think if I I'm gonna put I'm gonna put myself as fourth. Yeah, uh, but I think, I think the perspective for Arizona is they're not a sure thing. Like there's a belief that it's Sean Miller and people obviously Lenardi looks at this recruiting class they lost everybody from last year and like that's still a nine seed for a team that no one knows anything about. That's respect that Arizona basketball gets. That's respect that Sean Miller gets, but. I don't think anyone looks at this as they can predict them to be top of the conference, you know. But even then, like especially like Oregon's going to be there. Like Altman has a, that's a machine now. They're great. Didn't somebody else uh, not even have Arizona in the tournament, which is just nonsense to me. But I forget, but, I forget who that was. But that's the unknown of Arizona basketball this season. So you look at them and say, like when they the preseason predictions might have them fifth, sixth, or whatever. Doesn't mean that's where they're going to finish. And unlike most years. I imagine most Arizona fans will look at this team and say they're going to be better by the time the season ends, and they could be, by the time the season ends, a really dangerous team for the tournament. So whether they're a 9 seed, an 8 seed, a 7 seed, a 6 or 5, we don't know, but this is a team that's going to be pretty good to start and could be very good to finish. Yeah, I'm not going to envy the selection committee this year when there's going to be minimal uh, non-conference games to be able to compare across conferences. Um yeah. You know, I, I, I have a, I have a feeling that the, the, the few non-conference, I don't even know who's playing in any of the early season tournaments uh, from the pack, but like, I don't think that, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to particularly start all that dominant looking, just by the nature of how the teams are. Which, I'd be shocked if they got six teams or or whatever in the tournament just based on on that alone power conferences though might have the advantage too for the selection committee at this point the big conferences where you know i mean asu should be decent this season ucla should be good oregon should be good stanford we'll see they've lost some talent and they've just been kind of eh. you know utah's at least they play tough colorado they play tough like we don't know but just i think i think what you're seeing there i forget was it andy katz had him out of the top 25 which is who cares their preseason top 25s i know arizona's not not expected to be preseason top 25 when that comes out. But at the same time, there is respect that this isn't going to be a bad Arizona team. You know, like no matter how good, we don't know. But there's a belief, at least from Lenardi, who his bracketology is a lot more accurate by the end of the season than it is before the season starts. But, but he looks at them and says that's a tournament team regardless. You know, so it's it could be worse. Like they're not a 12 seed. He's got them as a 9 seed. That's a decent tournament team. You know, it's a tough draw. Well, he has him in the West region, and Gonzaga is the one seed. So 
you know, that's that's appropriate. But I think that's that's what you get with Arizona basketball right now. So preseason, I would say five or six, but I also wouldn't feel slighted by that. And I wouldn't be shocked if they finish higher than that in the standings. And I imagine most people who pick them to be in that range, if that's what happens, would feel the same. Like you can't reasonably say Arizona's a top three team in the conference based on what they lost and what they're bringing in. But you could look at what they're bringing and say, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they get there. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand why Stanford would be ahead of Arizona, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Selection committee. I mean, as long as Arizona doesn't have to play Wisconsin at any time in the Elite Eight, I think we're pretty good. There's nightmares still. So <laughs> I don't see Wisconsin and Arizona's bracket on this one. So that's good. That's you know, good. we'll we'll know things are back to normal. In, uh if it's my birthday and Arizona is losing an Elite Eight game at my birthday party. <laughs> Heartbreaking losses. We could talk about this before we wrap up. There was an article that came out over the week um, by some research from the Banner Society, which is SB Nation's college sports hub. Uh, Arizona football is the, I guess, I don't know if it's unluckiest team. You say they've, they've suffered the most nail-biter losses over the past 30 years. So everyone out there, if you looked at Arizona football, say, God, it is painful being an Arizona Wildcats fan because it seems like they always lose close games. You are right. What what does misery love? <laughs> Wildcat Radio 2.0? <laughs> Company. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> the story checks out. Yeah. Because um, I think, I think uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think we had maybe the one of the highest number of uh, close games and like the worst winning percentage in those in those close lost games, right? There have been twenty eight such games for Arizona. They've lost twenty of them. Uh, Izzy does it so when they broke it down. Kevin Sumlin is zero and two in games decided by one or two points, one and two in games decided by one to three points, and four and five in games decided by one to eight points. So he's actually for as many games as Arizona's lost, they've been in some close games. Rich Rodriguez was fifteen and fifteen in games decided by one and eight points, six and six, one and three, three and two. In one and two, so apparently Richard was the anomaly. Mike Stoops' record in overall wasn't very good, but in the close games, it was not good at any of those levels. John Makovic did poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and Dick, he goes also, back to Dick Tomey. So. He also lost the blowout games. Yes, but... God, I, I, I was just thinking through, I think I can think through how many field goals were missed for those one to two point losses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, I mean, that's football, right? In most games should be fairly close. You know, I guess it's more the NFL level than college, but even college, once you're playing conference games, you should be fairly close to each other, and the games should come down to one possession, you know, or one or two possessions, a play here and there. That, that's the nature of football. Like, you shouldn't be getting blown out too often if you're a legitimate program. Just, you'd like to win those close games. And the NFL, they're going to say those close games, there's a lot of luck involved because, yeah, like, a fumble bounces a certain way or a penalty goes, you know, a field goal that hits off the upright. Which way does it go? Does it go through? or away from the goalpost, you know, like those things, it's just dumb luck how sometimes you can win or lose those games and it usually doesn't transfer over. At the same time, not having it in front of me, I know like Arizona State, for instance, has won a lot of close games since Herm Edwards arrived. At least it seems that way. And is that a sign of really good coaching? Is it a sign of really good luck? Probably a little bit of both. But Arizona, throughout its, I guess, recent history, the last two decades, has struggled in those games. And said so Kevin Sumlin, 0 and 2 in games decided by 1 to 2 points, 1 and 2 in games decided by 1 to 3, 4 and 5 in games decided by 1 to 8. So 
Like, I guess you'd rather be a team that blows everybody out and wins, but you're going to be in a lot of close games, and there's just the, there is some level of skill involved in winning them, and Arizona so far, especially under someone, has not shown that. Yeah, I'm just thinking through. I can remember one time uh, the game where I think it was Washington screwed up their clock management, and uh, our kicker was able to kick like a 47-yarder to win the game. Yeah, it's the only time I can a... remember winning, uh, was it? <laughs> A game on a field goal, but I can like a, sure remember a lot of losing. Well, like last year, Arizona beat UCLA when they missed a field goal in the final seconds, so that was good. But yeah, that was a game where Arizona ended up, that, ended up winning the Pac-12 South that season because Washington probably could have sat on the ball. They did not. They ran it. They fumbled it, and Arizona Casey Scourin made the field goal to win the game. But even then, like two years ago, Arizona had a chance to beat ASU by on a final second, you know, last second field goal when they missed. You know, Pollock missed that one. So I guess they've been in close games, and if that field goal goes in. If things change a little bit, like the whole season's different, you know. But that—that's football for you. You're going to be in close games. This, the trick is winning them, and hopefully, it's more luck than skill or coaching that's been the issue. That Arizona's just had bad luck in those situations. But you know, if it—I mean, for the program, it just seems like a, it's a horrible trend. <laughs> like, like you can't even say, "Well, it's coaching." Like, well, okay, so someone, Richrod, Mike Stoops, John McEvick, and Dick Tomey were bad at that. Wow, <laughs> it might be just bad luck. I don't know. I mean, how much bad luck is there when you're throwing a <laughs> interception with the game uh, less than six minutes in the fourth quarter like Khalil Tate had a habit of doing? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but, like, I mean, it's always like a fumble bounces a certain way. Maybe it bounced like J.J. Taylor against ASU if that exchange handoff doesn't bounce right to an ASU player. If an Arizona guy falls on that and they maintain possession and ASU doesn't score a touchdown like on the next play. Like, there's all those little bounces. What was it the game against Washington when Nick Foles was playing? when it bounced off a dude's foot when Arizona was trying to kind of throw out the clock, you know, and was it Delishon Dean went off his foot or something, I want to say. I think that's right. And it it was a clean interception, but, like, really? What the hell? You know, that's just bad luck. You know, that does happen, and that's football. It's an oblong-shaped ball that bounces funny ways, and every now and then you get a good bounce, like that Washington game in 2014. But oftentimes you can get a bad bounce, and you don't know. It changes from bounce to bounce, so I – I guess even for this season, as we look at Arizona, I'd like for them to be in close games. I'd like them to have six close games and a seventh one after that. I'd like to have them be in close games because then you have a chance to win them. Yep. You know, and that's that would be a step in the right direction if they're in these games. So they'd be painful if they lose close games this year. But at the same time, it would show growth that I think when we would all take a step back from, it would still be painful, but we'd feel a little better about it. But it'll it'll be painful, but we're ready for it. <laughs> it'd be like, oh, we lost by two. Yeah, we lost by two. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much how it would be. So, but it doesn't make them any better in the moment. But you know, that's just. I said like if every fan base feels like they get unlucky in those situations, Arizona actually has a case. That's what I found interesting. So like everyone again. If you think Arizona just has really bad luck in close games and never seems to win them, you're right. Because statistics back that up. History is on your side. Arizona does not do well in close games. So <sighs> Does that make that. you feel better or worse? I don't know, actually. Like, I'm glad that my feeling that they struggle in close games is validated with facts. But also it's like, damn it, be better in close games. <laughs> I like winning. Winning close games is a lot of fun. Please do more of it. That that's all I got. I mean, I just like winning 
in not close games too. But yeah, winning in general is great. But if you're going to be in close games, please win those too. That's all I'm saying. As Herm Edwards might say, you play to win the game. He said that once. Probably said that more than once. Remember it was like a joke, and now everybody's like, that's right, as Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. Like, it's become a tagline for, like, a good coach. I mean, Charlie Sheen just said winning, and that became a thing. That's true. So a lot of things can become a thing if you just have the right timing and person saying it. I guess. But what should also be a thing is everybody subscribing to Wildcat Radio 2.0 can do that pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast from Spotify, iTunes. Just if, if you can get podcasts, you can find Wildcat Radio 2.0 on there. We have plenty of content as the season goes along because we like sports and we like talking about sports. And we want to talk about sports with you guys. So smash that subscribe button as the kids say. Hopefully they still say that. Now leave us some reviews on the different channels. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the podcast because we want to we want to keep doing a good job for you. We want to do better. If there's any recommendations, any thoughts, please let us know. I don't think we offended anyone this week's show particularly like poorly. Like I don't think we made fun of any states or groups of people. So that's good. That's a step in the right direction for us, for Brett and I on this show. But <laughs> as always, if you have any questions, you want things answered in the podcast, at Wildcat Radio AZ is the Twitter handle. And Brett, anything, any last words, parting words for this show? Wear a mask so we can watch football, even if we only win one game. Damn right. And with that, everybody, remember to bear down. Bear down.